Week five, check your motives. At this point in the book of Acts, y'all doing good today? It's a beautiful Sunday morning crowd. At this point in the book of Acts, Peter and John have been put in jail and brought before the council because if you remember, they were walking through the three o'clock prayer session at the temple and on the way, they healed a lame man who had been lame since birth. After he was healed, he got up and shouted and danced through the streets and the council took notice, not because of the fact that he was healed, but because of what Peter and John were attributing the healing to. They weren't so much concerned that a man got healed. They were mad that Peter and John were saying the man that we killed 60 days ago is what they're saying is the reason this man got healed. It wasn't the healing they had an issue with. It was the truth about the Messiah that they were still coming to the temple to pray for. And that's what they were doing. They were coming to 3 o'clock prayer to pray as they usually do for the Messiah to come that they're waiting on. And many Jewish uh, people still do that. For those of you that may not know, you have the Jewish religion, but there's such a thing as Messianic Jews. Messianic Jew is someone who believes that the Messiah has come, but there are still Jewish people who are still praying, just as these people were back in Acts chapter th- uh, 3 and 4 and 5. They healed the man. The man was walking. The council didn't like the fact that they were saying it's because of Jesus, so they arrested Peter and John, tried to silence them, but they could not be silenced. Because we found out that Peter and John were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about last week how a lot of times we fail in confrontations because sometimes the only way to get through a confrontation or through a hurdle in your life is to have power to take you through because you will not make it on your own accord. Peter and John were before the very council that crucified Jesus. They had the intimidation factor. They had they, it, it was a very trying time, but they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had the boldness to withstand. So they said, we are not going to be silent. And the council was so concerned about the riot because people were being saved even when Peter and John were in jail that even though the council believed they were speaking false truth, they said, okay, well, you can just be released. We're not going to do a thing. So they go back, they pray for more boldness, and it says the, the, the whole church was filled again with the Holy Spirit. And I've said it many weeks, and I want to say it again. There are many different theologies of beliefs of if you get filled with the Spirit when you get saved or if there's a second um, baptism, and, and I hold fast to the truth that there's a second, a third, a fourth, a 35th, and a 50th, and a 300th baptism because baptism in the Holy Spirit is not dependent on the Father. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is dependent upon how much will you baptize or immerse yourself in what is in you and residing in you as the temple of God. If you look, every time when they disperse power, they have to go back and get filled back up. The reason you have power is not so that you can walk with your head upright and saying, look at me. That's what righteousness does. You were perfected unto righteousness. You are in right standing with God. The reason the Holy Spirit fills you is so that you can release what God wants into the dimension of earth from the dimension of heaven. Okay? Okay? So Peter and John are bold, and they pray for boldness. They get more boldness, and then they go and preach, and it says God stretches out his hand and does many signs and wonders and miracles. And to set up Acts chapter 5, we need to reread the last four verses of Acts chapter 4 to give you a little context. So in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 33, it says, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. 
There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Everyone say son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. What we see up until this point, getting to Acts chapter 5, there is something in the church that I believe that the church has lacked for so long after this, and I believe prophetically, and I speak it, relentless will never go another step until we get this point, and this is the point. This was a church that was truly unified. At this point in Acts, they were all coming under the same conviction and they were all being led in the same way till they were all selling everything they had and giving it up. They were willing to give up everything because all they wanted to do was seek God. And I want to make clear, I am not preaching that we're calling everyone in this place to sell your stuff and join the church and we become a, a, a cult or anything like that. I'm not saying that I want all of your possessions so that we can build this extravagant place. What I am saying is that they were under a unified conviction and consciousness to say, whatever it takes, that's what we'll do. And at this point in the early church, in the first beginnings of the New Testament church, God called a people together to start something that had never been seen before and he needed all their resources so they were willing to give it up and the apostles were impressed by some of these people and then we have an example of someone like this guy named Joseph they were so impressed of, of his willingness to give up everything that he knew to give unto the church that they said wow you are such an encouragement in fact we're going to nickname you son of encouragement they were unified they were totally unified the Webster's Dictionary uh, describes and defines unity as this, the quality or state of not being multiple, a condition of harmony with no variation and no change, the state of being made one. The church was unified. They were one. They didn't have any strange motives. They didn't have false motives. They didn't have agendas. They were simply unified in being one thing, sold out to the seeking of the Father. They had no expectation. They weren't praying for tongues of fire. They were seeking God, and the manifestation of tongues of fire came because they did not limit what they were trying to do. And what the church has become is this group of people who say, God, we're praying for healing. We're praying for revival. We're praying for a move. And God's like, nothing is going to come unless you get unified in one purpose. Stop praying for my manifestations. Seek me so that I have access to release manifestations. Seek me and you will find. The reason why signs and wonders and miracles are being poured out in the early church, they never prayed for signs and wonders and miracles. They prayed for boldness and preaching and then said, Father, stretch out your hand and release signs and wonders and miracles because it was going to flow from their boldness in preaching truth. Read it if you don't believe me. So they were unified in it, but with unity... There will always be some that come with agendas and motives. Proverbs 16.2 says this. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. <laughs> okay. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Just because you find no fault in your motive does not justify the fact that you have a motive. 
Some people have motives of good things. Some people have motives of bad things. Some people have motives and they don't know whether it's good or bad. But the point here is that the Lord is not interested in what you want when it comes to his house and the restoration of all things. He is concerned with what he wants. After all, he is the king. The king declares what needs to be, and that's what he wants. And I can prove it to you that he doesn't care what you want because God says, I don't care about what you want to such a degree that if you seek me, I will give you the desires of your heart because your current desires are out of line. I will give you the desires of your heart that should be there, and then when you ask for those desires, whenever you ask in my name, I will give it. But we've created this culture in the church where if we don't get something we asked for, why didn't God give it? When the question should be, what was your motive in asking? When the question would be, why are you even seeking it? Is it even a desire that God wants you to have? But we don't seek God, so our desires are not changing. We're trying to put our desires before the altar and say, God, I want to give this to you, and would you do this, and would you do that? And God says, I want to give you something that looks totally new. My thoughts are different than yours. My ways are different than yours. Let me put something new in you because I need you to speak it and ask for it in order for me to release it. God says, I need you to release but you are not seeking me and I cannot release anything because you care about desires that I want to replace. And if we would be a people without motive, he says, I'll change everything about you and you will be a unified church that I can do anything through. And the fact of the matter is, there's not much unity in the church today. And I'm not talking about just a bunch of denominations and a bunch of different houses. That's going to be. In fact, I would even say that that's not a bad model. I think that there should be many houses of worship. I think that we would be blind if we think that the ultimate goal was for all of us to gather under one big house or out in a park. We're going to see in, Acts, in this chapter, actually, there was a time for them to gather in public and a time for them to get by themselves, and not everyone was invited into that. Or rather, everyone was invited in, but not everyone joined. I think that there is a time and a place for many different houses. That's not the type of unity I'm talking about. I'm talking about the unity within the houses is lacking. And prophetically I speak, one thing that God has shown me in this past couple weeks, this wall is not coming down until the walls of unity or disunity, if you will, are destroyed among the people of Relentless Church. There's other walls that have got to come down before this one comes down. So I have prayed about it, and I put it before God, and I'm saying, I have said since day one, I want this done since Easter. I'm not putting a timeline on this wall. Because I did not come to Pooler to build a church to have a bigger worship center. We came to Pooler to build a unified church with no walls in between. And there are walls. If you look around, there's people you don't know. There's lives you don't know about. You don't know what to pray about the person sitting in front of you or behind you. We are not truly a unified church. Have we grown in unity? Absolutely. If you've been at Relentless in the past six years, everyone would agree that this is a completely different house. The unity is totally different. It's better. It's close. We love on each other. But I am not going to settle for a lesser degree of unity. I want this degree of unity. And we've got to get there. And in order to get there, we've got to check our motives. James 4.3 says this, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. 
You want only what will give you pleasure. What are your motives when you come to God, when you come to church? Because we, the, the American culture is pick a church that works for you. Should that be your motive? Should it be I pick a church that has the best kids ministry or the best college ministry? I'm going to pick a church that has the best preacher. Or should it be I'm going to join a house that is simply seeking the Father? But what we do is what can we get out of the house to appease my need when God says, well, you're still needing because you've come with the wrong motive. You're wanting the wrong thing. The only thing that should drive you to a house is they're seeking God, and I want to get in on that. Not trying to build an organization, not trying to bring in more money, not trying to impress people with big numbers. Simply, are they seeking God? Why have you come here? Are you truly wanting to be a part of a unified body of believers or do you have an agenda? Are you trying to get a platform? Or what, what are you here for? A couple named Ananias and Sapphire seem to be a typical church people, a typical church couple searching out to be a part of a local house, a movement, a part of what God's doing. But in Acts 5, we see that this couple have some motives. They have their own agenda, and unity was not on the forefront of any motive they have. So starting out in Acts chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, it says this. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Everyone say some. He brought part, shout part. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. It's funny in a time where they try to keep the women silent, he needed a woman's consent to lie. <laughs> Hashtag blame. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, they're coming to the church, and they're not coming because they want to be in a unified house because they are not sharing any of the same conviction. They're coming for a different reason. The first question when I read this that rose up is I said, why did they lie? They sold some of their property. They gave a part of it to the church. Why did they have to lie claiming it was the full amount? What drove them? Why, what, what motive was there to try to get some sort of accolades of, look, we've sold everything, and it was covered in a lie? Ananias and Sapphira had a motive. Remember when we read Acts chapter 4, you had the story of a man named Joseph when the apostles, they were so impressed with him. We talked about it earlier in the message this morning that they called him what? A son of encouragement. Ananias and Sapphira are on the outside and you're looking at a time where they're not exactly people that are getting notoriety. These are people who are nobodies. These are people, they have some stuff, but they're not kings on the earth. They're not, they're not priests. They want some sort of respect. So they're looking at what's going on. Oh, there's people being healed. There's people getting stuff. There's a move of God at that church. There's a revival going on. There's a move of the Spirit. And then just like people today, Ananias and Sapphira are coming with their offering, and they're like, we got something for you. Because they're not really wanting to be unified with the movement. They want the movement to recognize them. Their motive was they wanted a respect from the movement. Their motive was they wanted to be recognized just like that man Joseph was recognized. They loved him. They gave him a nickname. They called him encouraging. And Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't come saying we want to be part of a movement. They wanted recognition from the movement. 
And that's what happens in church today. People come, and when they come into the house, the first thing they want to do is say, look at what I got, look at what I can do. I've had this background, look at my resume. And no one ever gave a resume when they got unified in this church. All they came saying was, here's everything, we're seeking God together. Ananias and Sapphire, they're lying about what they're giving because they want a recognition because they weren't getting it anywhere else. They didn't have this motive of, yeah, we want to give it all up for God. It was, we want you to think we do that because we want you to be impressed with our offering. Why do you do what you do? What is your motive behind coming here for teaching? What is your motive for serving? What is your motive for giving? There's something we don't talk about a lot. The Bible is very clear that the only thing that God will dares to test him in is the giving of the tithe. But should that be the motive? Because if I'm reading this correctly, if I'm reading this word correctly, I'm not giving because I'm expecting a tenfold return. I get sick of that when I hear preachers talking about, oh, if you give, God will give you more. Sometimes he won't because it's not his job to give you more. It's your job to say, I worship with you with a portion of what I have. But we come giving, expecting God to respond, and when he doesn't, your faith decreases because you didn't come seeking the Father and worshiping the Father. You came wanting something out of your worship. Like, would you still tithe if there was no promise of blessing? Would you still come to church if there was no promise of more? What if the only promise was you get to seek the Father? Would that be enough? I can't say it was the same for Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted something. They knowingly came in with a false motive. Everyone else was consumed with, let's glorify God. Ananias and Sapphira came in saying, glorify us. They knowingly came in with a false motive, masked in giving that was actually an attempt of the enemy to interrupt the progress of God's people. Let me tell you how weak the enemy is. He could not show up in a unified church. He had to suggest something through another man and have him come in trying to disrupt the unity because the only thing the enemy can do is suggest something in your mind for a man or a woman to come into agreement with it and when they come into agreement with it, they represent the suggestion, the unseen rulers and the unseen authorities of an unseen world. And because of this weakness in the enemy, the only way he could get into this powerfully unified body where signs and wonders and miracles were happening and thousands were added daily, the only way the enemy could get in was through a lie. Ephesians 3.10 says this. I read it last week, but I want to read it again. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to a bunch of people. No to the unseen rulers and authority in heavenly places. You see, we get this idea that signs and wonders and miracles and breakthrough are for us. But what if the fruit of it is for us, but the reason for it is to display authority to unseen things that's trying to claim authority on an earth that's not theirs? What if the point of growing as a family at home is that the growth is the fruit and the reason is to take authority in your house over unseen rulers. You see, we're, there's, there's, what's the motive? 
are, are you doing it to get the fruit or are you doing it for the cause? What's the cause? Take back my land and my earth. It's mine. Those unseen rulers do not get your house. And if you will step in the boldness of my truth, your house will get back and the fruit is unity. The fruit is love. The fruit is patience. The, lo- the fruit is kindness. The fruit is self-control. It's not the goal. It's the fruit. The motive is plant the seed. What's the seed? No rulers get anything here except my God. He was trying to get in on this unified church. The unseen rulers and authorities suggested an idea to the couple because the most dangerous thing for the unseen rulers and authority is a, unif- a truly unified church. And we find it in John 17, 21. It says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In unity, the world will know. Check your motives. Are you truly unified in the heart of the house, in the heart of a church on fire that that God wants to be married to instead of a church that God is wanting to divorce? God does not want to be married to a house that is all about themselves. Neither does anyone who wants marriage. No one wants that. Neither does God. He says, this is how my bride looks. You want me. You want all of me. And there's no other motive than desiring me, being in a relationship and seeking me. And it says when the, when the church is that unified, that description in John 17, it says, and then the world will know. We spend all of our time trying to make our name and get it out there, but there was no advertising strategy in the church. In the early book of Acts. And it was the most powerful time in the church. They didn't go advertise. They didn't try to get trendy like we have. We, and we've done it. I mean, I'm not going to try to put the blanket over your eyes. I'm not stupid. We've done what we need to do because we think that's what we need to do. But maybe we should shift. We haven't spent a lot of money on advertising and all these things this year because we need to shift. What's the shift? If we get unified, they will know. No other strategies needed. They will know. So when Ananias and Sapphira come in with this lie, look how Peter responds in verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some money for yourself. The properties was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. Now, we read that and we say, "Mm, yeah, powerful. But the first question I thought of, how the heck did Peter know that Ananias was lying? It's not like Ananias had like papers in his back pocket and Peter saw him hanging out. You ever seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? They got that, that little will and the jacket. If you haven't seen it, you're not saved. I, I hope you see it. But <laughs> it's not like there was an obvious we're lying. But Peter had something that they didn't. 
He was truly seeking and unified in the Spirit of God. And when you're unified in the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is filling up your temple, something happens such as in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, but to another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. You want to know how people get discernment about stuff that they can't see? You want to know how people can see things that aren't obvious? Because they are so seeking God that there is a special knowledge given, a special message of wisdom given that cannot be attributed to anything else but relationship with the voice that many people are still trying to hear. And in that moment, the church was so unified that when Ananias came in and said, I've got all this stuff, here it is, in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave a special knowledge to Peter. Notice, Peter did not seek the gift of knowledge. He sought God, and the gift of knowledge was given. You don't seek healing. You seek God, and healing is given. I said it before and I'll say it again. God is more concerned with the whole heart than crutches being thrown down. You want to know why? Because your flesh is going to be done one day and you get a new one. The heart is what he is concerned with. Remember the lame man that these guys healed? What we're told is, is that he got up shouting and leaping and he was filled. And he immediately took relationship with the apostles. It, was, it, it, it wasn't just that he was healed. It's he embraced a whole new identity. That is the goal of all this. What is our identity? Unified with Christ. Unified in the spirit. That's, that is the motive. If your motive is I've come to get, quite frankly, you shouldn't be here. The motive should always be come to give, seek, and find. But what does the church become? I got to go get a touch. I got to go get a word. I got to go get the, I got I to have, I got to have. That's why you're still wanting to have. That's why you're still trying to find. Because you're seeking the wrong thing. Let the right, let the thing you want be manifested through the right motive of seeking. Is this okay? And Ananias and Sapphira were probably crushed. Because remember, what did they come in? They wanted some recognition and some respect. They wanted some glory. And in a moment, instead of getting glory and a nickname called Son of Encouragement, Peter said, you're filled with Satan. You have let Satan fill your heart. Talk about a shock. There was so much going on with this couple. They wanted to keep what was theirs. They wanted to keep their portion. They didn't want to give anything. They didn't want to give all to God. They were, will, they were not willing to be unified. They came lying to receive praise instead of coming in truth to give praise. I wonder what would have happened if they simply came with a pure motive and when they said, here's a portion, what if being honest in what they wanted to give would have allowed the Spirit to move them into giving all that was necessary? But we don't come honest. We come with a mask. And I thought it was pretty bold that Peter was like, dude, you, you fooled the devil. Like, man, he just, he just gave less than all, man. Like, chill out. But look at what John eight forty four says. You are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there was no truth in him. When he lies... It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
he is a liar, his character is lying, he is the father of lies, and if Satan is the father of lies, and it is his character, what does that say about Ananias and Sapphira? Even though they may have believed in Jesus, because we're going to get into this, this doesn't mean they didn't believe. It means they had divided heart. Part of it was given to the belief that this dude Jesus was real. But obviously part of it was giving unto the father of lies. Because the character of lying was filling the heart. Matthew 6.24 says it like this, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's the example used in the scripture, but it's a very simple principle. You cannot serve two masters. So if there's a part of you that's dealing with lying, if there's a part of you that's dealing with gossip, if there's a part of you dealing with A, B, C, D, and E, that part of you is not unified with God. Satan had Ananias and was attempting to get in the body of a unified house of God. And if anything, I think we need to realize that is why people come with motives whether they believe it or not or whether they know it or not. The enemy tries to disrupt unity. And he does it by making you thinking that you are justified in what you want to do. And that's not saying that, oh, well, we have a bunch of people with motives. That means that this house is full of Satan. No, it means that our hearts are not in a position of total unity. They were. They gave up everything. Are you at a place where you want to give up everything? Or just a little bit? And you know what this idea of giving a little bit up means? It's still still a religious mentality of we pay for righteousness. Well, I'll give a little bit so I can be made right with God and I went to church today. No, no, no. Your job is no longer to pay for that. It's paid for. Jesus paid for your righteousness. What you do has has no... say in your right standing. It has everything to do with how much you are immersed in the power of God. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Salvation is not the pinnacle experience of God. It is the beginning and it is the door. And if you have stopped there, you have missed an incredible life in God. They were walking into this life. Ananias and Sapphira have motive. Now look what happens in verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Dang. Talk about a heart attack of conviction. <laughs> I want to point that out too because this has been preached wrong. We see nowhere in the scripture that God killed Ananias for lying. Thank God. Because we'd all be dead. It doesn't mean that Satan was in Ananias. It's Satan's character filled him. And Ananias, expecting all this respect and high regard, he was convicted. And can you imagine what went through his mind in that, how the heck did this dude know that I did that? When he heard it, he says he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. False motives were exposed in the unity of believers And he died because when a body is unified truly in the spirit, false motives cannot breathe. 
They cannot exist. And maybe in the same way that Ananias is dying, that's what we're seeing in the body of Christ. What if in the same way that Ananias is falling down dead, that's why churches aren't growing? That's why people are in churches with no life change? If people are still dealing with the same struggles they dealt with 20 years ago, you are not unified. You no longer live under those chains. So why are you still holding them? Remember, the, the, the story, we're going to read about it eventually, but the story of the man who, who, who was on the mat, Jesus said, get up and carry the thing that, you, that used to carry you. Why are you still letting your thing carry you when you should be carrying it and using it as a footstool under your feet? We haven't built a body of believers in the foundations of pure motives. It's always what can we get out of it. Ananias could not live in the atmosphere of purity that defined the church. We have to become so unified in motives that nothing else can stand and corrupt a unified house. And there's something interesting about it. If we read it again in verse 5 and 6, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who, everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Now, maybe I'm over-analytical, which people, some say I am, and that's okay. I embrace it. I like being analytical. I like pulling things apart. Sometimes it gets the best of me, but I'm good with that. But I read that and thought to myself, why was the church terrified? Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Why, why were they terrified? Doesn't doesn't the word say perfect love casts out fear? Why do they have fear? 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I thought that they were unified. I thought they had power. Why were they terrified? It does not say the church was terrified. It says all those who heard about it were terrified. What, what did we read earlier? If you are unified in me, the world will know. They were so unified that when this happened, everyone was afraid who heard about it. And I'm going to get into this later, but to go ahead and say it, there was a twofold fear. One side of it, it was, I don't want to be around those guys. I'm lying all the time. I'm terrified. If I walk up into that house, I'm not going to make it out in a sheet. <laughs> the second, though, was a, a reverent fear. I'll get into that in a little bit. But if we would just check our motives and become a unified church, darkness would be exposed in the midst of unity. Darkness would be exposed in the midst of our unity. And we will be heard everywhere. And we can stop wasting money on ads and flyers and start, start meeting needs. You want to know why we have church with needs? Because all our money is trying to go out getting people in instead of meeting needs of the people that are here. Because we still got people with motives. We're not unified. Do you see why this is such a prophetic message? We can't go further without unity. Well, remember, it wasn't just Ananias. It was also Sapphira. Look what happens to her in verse 7. About three hours later, just like a woman. Three, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, dang. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to shut up with that one. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> Dang. Lord, forgive me. Bless me. Protect me. About, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Now, wait a minute. Everyone heard about it. Why didn't she? Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Now, think about that. Everyone heard. If she was in tune with what was going on, she would have heard too, and she would have passed this test. I, I, I love Peter. I mean, P Peter knew what was going on. He's like, hey, um, you hadn't heard what was going on? Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. Idiot. That was the price. You notice that she was totally clueless about what everyone else knew? Because people that have their own motive are totally wrapped up in their self to where they have no idea what's going on. And I wonder in the church, do you know what's going on with the people around you? Do you know the struggles of the people sitting in the rows in front of you or the, the rows next to you or even in the struggles of your sons and daughters or your moms and dads or your friends or the, the people that come on Saturdays that you don't see on Sundays or the people on Tuesday nights that you don't see on Saturday or Sunday? Do you know them? Do you know what's going on? Or are you so wrapped up in yourself with your own motive that all you really care is what can you get out of it instead of what can you pour into it? She was totally wrapped up in herself. She was so wrapped up in herself that she didn't hear the testimony of what happened amongst this body of unified believers that everyone else was terrified from. Verse 9, Peter said, How could the two of you even think about conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Dang, Peter, a chill, man. I want to point out something that this was not a death threat. Peter wasn't saying you're going to die. Peter was saying you can't stay here with those lies. Which I thought was kind of weird because I thought the church was supposed to be everyone's welcome. We're going to get into that. I'm going to answer that question. Verse 10 Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. The same thing that happened to Ananias happened to Sapphire. Same reaction, the same shock. They were both removed from the unity because of selfish motives. Then verse 11, here it is. Look at great fear gripped the entire church this time. And everyone else heard about what had happened. Now we read that and feel like it's a contradiction because it's like, well, why was the church gripped with fear? But realize that the, the word church here is ecclesia, the governing body. Church did not mean people who came to worship God. It was the governing body of the area. They would come together once every, uh, basically every month, and they would make decisions together on behalf of the community and then put those laws up to allow those in higher government to pass them or reject them. So what you have that we don't point out a lot in Acts chapter 5, you actually have two forms of church. You have the Old Testament church that was still trying to govern and pay for their right standing, and then you got the New Testament church who is so unified that it's causing the church to be terrified of what was going on. 
and everyone else who heard about it. That word terrified and fear, it's not just a, oh, I'm scared. It is a reference. It is a high regard. They noticed that there was something different going on. And Proverbs 1, 7 says this, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fear of the Lord, respect and a high regard. I am so terrified that I'm going to take this serious. I'm taking my seeking of God and my time in his presence serious because I don't want an Ananias experience. The vision of this church is to see people come alive in Christ. You want to come alive? Check your motives. Because if you have motive, it limits your life. Can you imagine what Ananias and Sapphira, what the Lord planned for them, if they would have simply been honest and been unified and gave it all? Is your life limited because you have your own motives? The testimony of unity and how false motives could not stand was made known to everyone. Everyone's like, what the heck is happening? And here is the question of, well, isn't everyone welcome? Well, look at what happens in verses 12 through 14. I'm getting to the end. I hope this has been good this morning. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them. No one dared to join them. Why? Because they were what? They were terrified. Even though all the people had, what, high regard for them. Yet more and more people believe were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Why didn't they join them? There was a fear. There was a respect. There was a high regard. They believed in God. Look at what happens. They didn't join them, but it says that people believed and they were healed. Where was it? It wasn't in the place that the unified church met. It was in, look at verse uh, 12 again. Throw it up there. They met regularly at the temple in the area known as what? Solomon's Colonnade. Something's interesting about Solomon's Colonnade. It was the largest outdoor place in the temple where thousands could meet. It's not a question of believing in Jesus with the unity. There were many believing in Jesus and coming for healing in the public testimony and believing of Jesus in the outdoor colony where everyone was welcome. But there was another place where they were getting with the, filled with the power to go to the colonnade that if you had your own motives, you couldn't get there. And I, I truly believe the reason they were terrified and they would not join this group over here is because they knew that they couldn't get here until they died to everything else. I believe we're seeing the same thing in the church today. You've got the churches that are like Solomon's Colonnade where everyone's coming and people are believing. But where it's lacking is that there's other houses called to be the unified place. They're getting so wrapped up in the arms of the Father with no motives. A church so on fire that those who have believed can learn how to dispense what's in them 
that they have no understanding of. We've all been in the Solomon's colonnade, believing, healed, restored. But I don't want to stay here. I want to get to the place where I'm no longer the one in need. I want to get to the place where I am meeting the need. And I cannot get there without checking my motives. I've got to die to everything that I am and say, God, I'm going after you, and I want nothing else. In the last two verses, as a result, verse 15 of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Here again, everyone came because they were so unified, so on fire for God that people just wanted to get merely in the shadow of who they were, not because they were scared of them, because they didn't understand and they were terrified of the power that was being expelled from them. And they knew it's not because we're powerful. It's because we've recognized how weak and without we are to such a degree that we've allowed God to fill and release. The church on fire that we've got to become are a people who are seeking one thing, unity in the spirit with other believers, seeking God to such a degree that we recognize we are nobody, we are without, and God have your way and do what you want to do. Check your motives. Amen? Let's stand.